Amen. Okay. Well, we're going to make a start. On your tables, there's some little uh, sort of cards with blank bits on. They're like creative cards. So they're just there if you want to take notes or doodle, do whatever you want to do. Write down what you feel like God's saying to you. So make use of those if, if you want. There's also, actually, I should have said, some flyers for the Nativity walkthrough. So again, grab as many of them as you, as you want. If you feel like there's people that would appreciate having a physical flyer, give them to them when you invite them. So help yourself to those as well. Okay, 1 John. So we're in 1 John 4, um, four-fifths of the way through this, this, this great little book. And a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to us from chapter 3. So I'm going to give us a little quick recap of um, where we're up to in this book. You may never have read this book before. You might, it might be your favorite book. I, I don't know, but it's, I've really enjoyed getting stuck into it. And in the first, well, last time I said to us in 1 John 3, there's almost like a division that you can draw in the book at that point. And in the first part, John uh, spends some time explaining to us the importance of living in the light, living in the light. And he reminds us and he takes us through some of the conditions of what that means. And then in that sort of division that you can draw in the second part, he turns his attention away from that and he begins to concentrate on how we can develop our spiritual lives. And it actually follows a really similar pattern to the first part. You can see it there on the screen. So both of them start with a, with a statement about the character of God and then sets out some conditions for that. And it sort of parallels each other. As you can see on the right-hand side, there's just an extra sneaky one that he's slotted in there called Be Loving, and he was the apostle of love, so that's his prerogative. So as you can see, the two halves follow exactly the same pattern, which is really helpful to help us sort of break down the book and understand. So in the first part, this statement that he begins with is God is light, and then the conditions for us to live in that light are renouncing sin, being obedient, rejecting worldliness, keeping the faith. And then again, in the second half, it follows the same pattern. How can we live as the children of God? Renouncing sin, obedience, rejecting worldliness, being loving and keeping the faith. So he repeats that pattern for us, uh, for living authentic Christian lives. And then last time I looked at chapter 3, we only got to about verse 3 of chapter 3. I can only apologize for that, but that was about all we had time for. And in, in those few verses that he crammed in, we, we saw this, that uh, John says that we should be confident in Jesus' coming, that we should be certain we are his children, we should be conformed to Christ, and that we should be consistent in our holiness, our consecration. So in those first three verses, isn't it amazing? Just the word of God, how much can be crammed into just a few verses. So that's what we looked at. So that's my really quick little summary for you. And as I say, we're moving into chapter four of this wonderful little letter. And in this chapter, there's loads of good stuff. I'm going to mostly be focusing on verses seven to 12. Um, and we're going to get stuck in and just see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Uh, but in these wonderful few verses... John tells us that God, who is the father of Jesus, is the God of love. That love comes from him, that his love was manifested in the sending of Jesus to earth, and that his love is perfected by us when we choose to love others. So it breaks down like this. Love has its origin in God. Love is seen in the death of Jesus, and love is perfected in us when we love others. Love has its origins in God. It's seen in the, Jesus, in, the, in the death of Jesus, and it's perfected in us when we love others. So last time I talked to you, I said, uh, we so often hear songs on the radio, and uh, just all, so, all manner of songs written about love, how you get love, how you lose uh, love. 
But another perspective that I thought was always fun to bring in is uh, what children write about what they think love is. It's always, it's always worth sharing just because it makes you laugh. Uh, and I actually think there's often a lot more worthwhile than what most of the songs say because there's nearly always some sort of profound truth underneath it all. So I had a little you know, look online and so here's some of the things that uh, children said about what love is. So love is when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. <laughs> it starts off so profound and then just goes, goes there. I love it. But isn't that great? I love that. You just think of that child coming out with that and you know exactly what they mean, even though it's said in a funny way. So the next one, love, love is you smiling even when you're tired. Love is smiling even when you're tired. I think I need to listen to that. Next one, love is when my mummy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. I've got to be honest, if Hannah made me coffee and I saw a sip in it, I'd be pretty cross, I think, actually. So. That's brilliant. Next one, love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and talk more. <laughs> Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I want to meet that child. I feel like I could sit at their feet and learn. That's just brilliant, isn't it? Love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. And lastly, love is when mummy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> brilliant. Aren't children amazing? And anyway, so that's what children think about love. And in this uh, bit of 1 John, we get told, we get a little glimpse into what God thinks about love. And when we get sections like this in the Bible, it's so important that we take note, that we take it into our hearts, because this is real truth for us to feed our souls on. So as I say, in chapter 2, John addressed love as an indication that you are walking in the light. So love will be the overflow of your life if you are walking in the light of God's truth. And then in chapter 3, he said love is an indication that you are a child of God as well. So if you have love in your life, if you love others, if you love God, if love is the tune to which you live your life, then you will be called a child of God. And then in chapter 4, he ex expands it even more and he says that love, the very origin of love, the source of the river is God himself. John says that love is the very nature of God. He's, he's essential character. So I'm going to read 1 John 4, uh, 7 to 21 to us now. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What an amazing passage. The Greek word for love, agape, appears 30 times between 1 John 4 and 5 verse 3. And it's no surprise, as I say at the start, that John is known as the apostle of love. He's almost like a love expert. He'd be the ultimate agony aunt in you know, the, a newspaper column. Eugene Peterson said this, We know that the spiritual atmosphere in which we live erodes faith, dissipates hope, and corrupts love. But it is hard to put our finger on what is wrong. We live in a culture that corrupts love, that tells us what love is when it is not what God describes it as. And here we have a great section on what love is, how we define love, how we know what love is, how we can cherish and nurture love. It is God who first loved us, it says, and therefore we should love one another. In describing God as love, John was rooting himself in his Jewish heritage of understanding God as a living person, personal, active being, rather than the later sort of Greek concept which we are really influenced by of just a sort of deity that's out there in the ether just floating around. Expressing God as love means he is a dynamic, active being. He's practical. He gets involved. It's not speculative or a concept. You know, it's so easy to think of God as just removed and distant, that he's floating. But no, the response that John tells us about the loving activity of God in our world is seen through Jesus. We have a living, breathing, walking embodiment of love for us to look to. God is not distant. He's not abstract. God is a baby in a manger sent to live with us, laugh with us, cry with us, eat with us, heal us, show us the Father, to die for us, to rise again for us. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard says this, God is in himself a sweet society of love with a first, second, and third person to complete a social matrix where not only is there love and being loved, but also shared love for another, the third person. Community is formed not by mere love and requited love, which by itself is exclusive, but by shared love for another, which is inclusive. The community of the Trinity. And then John in verse 9 and 10 tells us that the character of God at its core is love. That is God's core. That God is the origin and source of love. And that love is determined and understood through his self-disclosure in Jesus. That is our primary, our, our main, our everything when we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And in Jesus, we see the embodiment of love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What an amazing couple of verses that is. If you're going to memorize some scripture, that might be a good place to start. And this is the Christmas story. The love of God was made manifest among us when God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you feel like you are living through Jesus right now? Is God the source of your strength and your hope? What wellsprings are you drawing on right now? Because Jesus came so you would live through him, not around him, not despite of him, through him, through Jesus. That is the invitation to us. It's amazing. And when Jesus came to earth, he was the full, unedited, unredacted disclosure of God. I find that amazing. You know, sometimes like the government will release uh, papers from, you know, every so often there's a whole dump of them that get released by the National Archive. And then, like, oh, we're going to read this really juicy one. And then you find out half it has black lines to it because it's redacted information. You can't read it. You know, as a former journalist, that's always really annoying because they're the best bits. But Jesus has no redacted bits in him about God. He is the full disclosure of the Father to us. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. I've added the underlining. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What a great start to a book that is. I just think like, come on. <laughs> Amazing. That is incredible. So Jesus carried with him the very radiance of the glory of God. A man walking around the Middle East 2,000 years ago was cloaked in the very radiance of God. In the Old Testament, you may well know the story that when Moses spoke with God face to face, he had to wear a veil afterwards because his face was so bright from the glory of God that he carried. And people would be afraid. But now in Jesus, we look upon the very glory of God with our own eyes. And not only that, but Jesus lives inside each one of us through the Holy Spirit. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Unveiled faces. So many times in my life, I feel like I pull the veil back over. I pull the veil back over through disobedience, through lack of faith, We have unveiled faces. We can look and behold the glory of God through Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 to 20 says this. He is the image 
of the invisible God. This is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were made through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things on earth and in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If we were a Pentecostal church, we'd get an amen there or something like that. So good, so good. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. These are life-changing statements for us. John says it, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. And then in verse 10, John tells us that the essence of love is not our love for God. Because isn't that, isn't that just the way that we're told that, you know, you can make, make your life whatever you want it to be. You, you know, we, we, we love TV shows about entrepreneurs. We just love the people who are sort of, they go out there and they take life by the scruff of the neck and they do it because they're, they're the captain of their ship. And John says, hang on. We didn't love God first. God, love reached out to us. And it culminated in the moment when Jesus hung on the cross. Ronald Roheiser in Wrestling with God says this, Jesus never used divine power in an attempt to prove that God exists beyond doubt. His ministry, like his birth, wasn't an attempt to prove God's existence. It was intended rather to teach us what God is like and that God loves us unconditionally. It was intended rather to teach us what God is like and that God loves us unconditionally. See, it's one thing to talk about love. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to write songs about it. But it's something else to actually show love. And God is not just a talking God. He's an acting God, a doing God, a serving God that came to earth. So in the person of Jesus, God's love was put on public display for all to see. And now we can read about it. So we've not just heard about God's love. We've not just, you know, received a text message or an email. We haven't just heard rumors about it. We have seen it in Jesus. The Greek word for when John said, says God sent his only son appears five times in the New Testament. That's all. And each time it's in reference to Jesus. It means unique, one of a kind. There is no one like Jesus. The well-known verse that John wrote in his gospel, John 3.16, should be echoing loudly in our, in our minds now. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The same Greek word there. Only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God sent his only son from heaven where he had existed for all eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit down to earth. Tim Keller says this, the gospel is that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died in your place. 
so God can receive you, not for your record and sake, but for his record and sake. And then in this little section, John takes his treatise on love one step further. He says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Because you'd think, you know, God is perfect, God is love. So, really, he doesn't need us at all. But John tells us that somehow, in the mystery of creation, we are able to help God perfect his love through loving others. Isn't that incredible? We are invited into his mission on earth. We can participate in his love being extended. We can perfect it by loving each other. Because God's love can't just stay and stop inside of us. It can't just stop inside of us. It has to pour out of us. It has to come out of us to those around us. It has to be shown through the way we treat those around us. How we treat those who are in trouble or pain or difficulty. It has to be shown in how we treat those other people in church that we find really difficult to get along with. To all the hurting and broken people in our society. To the widow and the orphan. To the single parent or the refugee or the immigrant. To the, to the social outcast who's deemed uncool. That is how the love of God is perfected in us. So if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So is the love of God right now being manifested in your life through your love for others? Are you allowing the love of God to be perfected in you through that process of loving others? Is there anyone right now that you're holding a grudge against? That you feel like, I can't forgive them for what they've done. Let the love of God be perfected in you. Extending them the same love that God extended to you. Are you engaged somehow, in some way, with people who are less well off than you. We do it through a whole different ways in this church, and I love that. I love that we are a church that gets down on our knees and helps people in our region. That is how the love of God is perfected through us. You know, and sometimes fear can stop us from loving others. Fear of rejection, fear of being hurt, fear of being mocked, you know, the fear of man. And then John says these wonderful words in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So fear of man can keep us from pouring ourselves out. But sometimes fear of God stops us coming fully into his presence as well. You know, we think, I, I just can't come into his presence because of X, Y, and Z. But perfect love casts out fear. Do you need a fresh filling of the perfect love of God tonight? Are you holding fear in your life right now about something? Is it fear of the future? You know, job uncertainty, financial uncertainty, fear of relationship uncertainty. Let the love of God fill you again tonight. 
So we're going to start coming into Lancet. If the band want to come up, that would be great. And then into verse 19, John says this, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So everything we do, everything we say, every act of service, every Christingle, every nativity walk through in the park with tiny donkeys, every prayer we say, every mince pie we bring, every time we put the chairs out on a Sunday morning or serve on the kids team or on the PA team or the media team, every time we stop to talk to someone on the street who looks down, everything we do, we do because God first loved us. Not because we need to earn his love, not because we need to try and convince him to love us, not because we need to make up the bad stuff we've done before. No, we do it because God first loved us. And if you can live in that reality, your life will be transformed. Because you won't need to do anything to try and win approval. I live my life, this is what you'll think, it's not what I'm saying, because I'm not there, but you will live your life and I will live my life to the full extent that God has called you to live it because you know he first loved you and not because you need to do it to try and convince him. Is it God's love that you are chasing after or is it the approval of your friends, your boss, your family? Maybe your family want you to do something totally different to what you're doing. You know, is is it the pressure of social media? Whatever it is, why are you doing what you're doing? And we need to come back to doing everything because God first loved us. And this love was made manifest among us when God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Why don't we stand as we move into worship. And we just welcome the Holy Spirit now and say, we, we want to come again into your presence, God, and say, we want to live through Jesus. We want to live through Jesus. So just now as we welcome the presence of God, let's ask the Holy Spirit to highlight areas in our life where we're currently not living through Jesus. Maybe we're doing things in our own strength. Maybe we're doing things out of a place of pain or uncertainty. Just let the Holy Spirit start to nudge you and prompt you to think about where are those areas in your life. How can we increasingly, day by day, step by step, bring into alignment every area of our life so that it is being lived through the person of Jesus who fully manifested love, who fully manifested the person of God. And those things that the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you now, you might be able to realign them overnight with a couple of decisions. It might be simply rejigging some of your time. But some things the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you now might take a lot more work. But tonight's the night you can start. 
So, Father, we welcome your presence. And we just come to worship you now. Thank you, Jesus.